Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, June 19th, 2019. We're going to be continuing with our new series on A Pirate Christian's Guide to the Old Testament. Understanding the Old Testament. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelicals, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and it's just really kind of a mess out there. I think you get the idea. Now, if you have not listened to A Pirate Christian's Guide to Understanding the Old Testament, Part 1, yeah, yeah, you got to do that. So pause, go back into the archives to last week, (laughs) to last Wednesday, and go and listen to part one because you know the the series builds on itself, and um, in order to get the the desired effect, I guess, in in really helping you to make sense of the Old Testament, you're you're gonna need to listen to every segment in order, if if you would, and and that that will help you tremendously. Now we're gonna be reading a large bit of the book of Genesis today. And we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Joseph. Now, if you've listened to modern-day popular pastors and vision-casting leaders preach on this text, then you know how they mangle it and make it all about you. You see, Joseph had a God-sized dream, and you're going to have a God-sized dream, too. And, and, and so what? it's just a nonsense. If, if they understood that the Bible is about Christ not about them, 
then they'd be able to see Jesus quite clearly in the story of Joseph. And the reason for this is actually quite simple. Joseph, out of all of the Old Testament patriarchs, his story is, I, I would almost argue, the closest to the story of Christ than any of the people in the Old Testament, uh, with the exception of King David. So we're going to be taking a look at this story, and we have a governing text that we're going to be looking at as we look at this, because this is where you can see the life of Christ really closely paralleled in the story of Joseph. And our governing text, let me pull this up here. Let's see, there's my desktop. Uh, the governing text we're going to be looking at is in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And, and here's what the Apostle Paul writes to, the, the, to Christians, to all of us. And he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You can even say vain conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Now, the Greek word here, let me make my Greek just a little bit bigger so it's a little easier to see. see the Greek word for servant here is doulos which is the same word used for slave, okay? So note here that Christ, although he is equal with God because he is the Son of God in human flesh, he empties himself by taking on the form of a slave, a slave, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So this is going to be our governing text, because in here we see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, although he is equal with God, he empties himself, and so you can talk about Christ's you know, his emptying of himself, being found in the form of a slave, being found in the form of a servant, and then dying on the cross. So there's death, there's resurrection, there's exaltation. And you're going to see in the life of Joseph, Joseph this exact same trajectory. And even Joseph experiences a death and a resurrection. And we'll talk about that because when you do death and resurrection in the life of an Old Testament patriarch in the types and shadows, the person doesn't die and then rise again, but their death is a figurative death, and it's, it's, it's absolutely clear in the story of Joseph. And so when you look for connection points in the story of Joseph to tie back to the life of Christ, man, there are so many of them. I, I'm a little embarrassed in, in putting this teaching together, because we're barely going to scratch the surface and plumb the depth of this amazing story. So with that, let's head over to Genesis chapter 37, and we'll, we'll begin the story of Joseph. Now, we're going to read out a large piece of this, so grab some popcorn or 
you know, or something, because I, I want to make sure that we get as much of Joseph's story in one setting so that you can clearly see the connections. And then I would even challenge you, go back through the story of Joseph afterwards and see if you can find more, because I'm not, <laughs> this is not an exhaustive look at uh, how the story of Joseph connects to the life of Christ. So let's, we'll begin at, uh, at verse 2 of chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, his father is Jacob, you know, Jacob, uh, Jacob, and uh, this is the man whose name has been changed to Israel. So, the, uh, so this very fascinating stuff. And we've got 12 sons of, of Jacob here. This will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so one of his sons is Joseph, and he was born to him in his old age, and dad's playing favorites here. So uh, anyway, Joseph bro- brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. Now, Israel, he loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his, all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So uh, <laughs> Jacob's love for Joseph and, you know, and clearly he's the favorite. It's just a a complete irritant to them. Cannot stand this. So they can't even speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. Behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Are we indeed? Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And you're going to note something here. This is a prophetic dream. The source of this dream is none other than God himself. It is, this is not Joseph as a young is a young man or as a 17 year old teenager going what do i want to be when i grow up i know i'm dreaming about being a firefighter you know or you think of you know the, <laughs> the story of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer hermy you know he doesn't like to make toys and so hermy he wants to be a dentist and, and so he's dreaming of being a dent this is nonsense okay when that's not what this is about. This is a prophetic dream. Now, let me, let me hunt this down real quick. Uh, Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Listen to a good cross-reference on this text. And it says um, in Psalm 105, When he, this is the Lord who did this, When Yahweh summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what had what he had said came to pass. The word of Yahweh tested him. 
So Psalm 105, verse 19, makes it clear that the source of this dream is God. And i got to point this out, that this is a type and shadow pointing us to Christ. And those who would teach you that God is going to put a God-sized dream in your heart, the same way he put a God-sized dream in Joseph's heart, they're speaking nonsense and lies to you. Uh, Because I would just point out, what was the God-sized dream that God gave to Reuben, to Judah? to Benjamin, to Issachar, to the other brothers of Joseph. What was the God-sized dream that they received? Hmm? Yeah, there's no mention of any God-sized dream given to them. And so this, you're going to note that Joseph, having a prophetic word of God given to him in a dream, and uh, Psalm 105, verse Verses 18 and 19 make it very clear, or actually verse 19 makes it very clear that the source of this dream was the Lord Yahweh himself. You know, it's, how, come, how, how, come, how come his other brothers didn't get a dream too? Huh? Yeah, and, and so this is not some normative pattern that we're supposed to look to and say, oh, I'm going to have a dream just like Joseph had a dream. And, and just like Joseph changed the world, I'm going to change the world No, Joseph's life follows the life of Christ in so many details. I mean, you have to be an utter narcissist to miss it, you know, which is the reason why we call this particular technique where people read themselves into the biblical text, we call it narcissism because they're narcissistically reading in. So note then that it was God who gave this dream to Joseph And you'll note that in this dream, his brothers are bowing down to him. Keep that in mind. So are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So then he dreamed another dream. And the dream again, this comes from God. And he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun The moon and the 11 stars, they were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. And now watch the words. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now coming back to our governing text, again, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's important to note that this statement of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 is a cross-reference to a prophecy given regarding the Lord Yahweh himself in Isaiah chapter 45. Uh, Isaiah 45, 23. So note then, in this prophetic dream that God gives to Joseph, every knee will bow to him. Starting to see it. And then remember what I said, kind of important word. His father kept the saying in mind. This kind of harkens back to to Luke chapter 2. 
uh, you'll note that in Luke chapter 2, we have some very interesting things that are going on in the, the tail end of that chapter. You know, Jesus is dedicated. He's brought in to be circumcised uh, at the temple. And just amazing things are happening regarding the life of Christ. And then you get the story of how the, Mary and Joseph, and notice the name of Jesus's earthly father is what? Joseph. Yeah. I, you just can't make this stuff up, okay? So the connection points are really strong, and the typology is um, is very thinly veiled. It's it's quite overt. You can kind of see these things, and so they they lost Jesus in the temple, and it, and they went searching for him. And note this here: so uh, they went searching for him and didn't find him. In fact, let me read this story out: Luke chapter two, verse forty-one. His parents went to Jerusalem. Every year at the Feast of the Passover. And by the way, the whole Passover, yeah, that all connects to Christ too. That's for another installment in the future in this series. And so when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. And, but supposing him to be in the group, they went again, uh, went a day's journey. But they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, listen, when the Bible talks about three days kind of stuff, pay attention. It's oftentimes when the Bible, even in the New Testament and the Old, both Testaments, when, when it talks about something and three days passed, pay close attention because oftentimes, in fact, more times than not, like 99% of the time, there's a connection point back to Christ. The typology is going to hook back into Jesus. So after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. But he said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he had spoke to them. And when he went down with them he came to Nazareth, he was submissive to them. And watch the next statement. And his mother, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Yeah, so Luke 2, verse 51, the last sentence of verse 51, yeah, has, I, has this interesting echo as far as a, as a cross-reference back to Genesis 37:11 regarding Israel that his father kept the saying in mind this was an interesting thing it kind of out, it was an outlier so now will come the death of Joseph the death of Joseph now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem and Israel said to Joseph are, your, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. So he said to them, now go see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And, as a, and a man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, 
Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit that was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they said, then they sat down to eat, and they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And then the Midianite traders passed by. They drew Joseph up, and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, note, this is kind of fascinating. Judah is the one who concocts the scheme to betray Joseph for pieces of silver. Now, it's not the same amount that Christ was betrayed for. Christ was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. But yet, it's rather fascinating. Both Jesus and Joseph were betrayed for pieces of silver. In this particular case, Judah is the one leading the charge. <laughs> yeah, there, There's something going on there, too. Because in the next chapter, and we're not going to read the next chapter. The next chapter is the story of Judah and Tamar. And, uh, and, <laughs> and how the, the next person in the line of the Messiah was conceived through an act of prostitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. There's interesting stuff in the types and shadows there. But again, suffice it to say, and again, I, this is not an exhaustive look at how Jesus and Joseph are the same. Suffice it to say that Jesus, just like Joseph, was betrayed for pieces of silver. In this particular case, Judah is the one playing the, the role of Judas. Same. So when Reuben returned to the pit, saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and he said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. Yeah, now here it's a goat. Now, have you ever heard of making your robe white in the blood of the lamb? It's a theme in the book of Revelation. Just... Yeah, I just kind of saying that this is kind of interesting, kind of the back end of that. This is the reverse version of that. So they sent the robe of many colors, brought it to their father, and they said, this we have found, please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. He identified it, and he said, it is my son's robe. 
A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son for many days. And all of his son, all his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now note, to Israel, to Jacob, Joseph is dead. And so we can say, Joseph has died. Him going into slavery has resulted in his death. And he will be resurrected, and he will be glorified along the way. Kind of a fascinating thing. And there's even an allusion to the cross of Christ immediately before Joseph's resurrection. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So Joseph is a slave. Jesus was found in the form of a slave. And so the slave theme comes into play. Now, since Joseph here is just exemplifying and really clearly being a type and shadow of Christ, he's going to stand out among the patriarchs. It's hard to find any real fault in, in Joseph. And that's because his life is a type and shadow of Christ. But let's see how he handles temptation, shall we? So um, Yahweh was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that Yahweh was with him and that Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. There's another type and shadow connection to Christ. Look for it in the New Testament. You'll find it. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of Yahweh was on all that he had in his house and his field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Hmm. Now, you'll note that (laughs) this is the first account in Scripture, uh, I would even argue like in human history, of workplace sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you'll (laughs) you'll note who's doing the harassing here. Not a dude, it's it's a woman. But, uh, you know, so she cast her eye on him and lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke with Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Now, a little bit of a note. There's a little bit more we could take a look at regarding Christ. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it says this regarding Jesus. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Hmm. Yeah. So, no, Jesus has been tempted in every way that we are, and yet is without sin. And the author of Hebrews goes on to say, then, therefore, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. And so we can see then in our story, in the story of Joseph, that Joseph seems to be a lot like Jesus, tempted in so many ways like we are, and yet never yielded to the temptation and was without sin in this regard. And so we can see in the temptation of Potiphar's wife that we can see a lot that that we can tie back to Jesus. Jesus, too, faced these same temptations and also was without sin. But Joseph is not sinless. He's just, if you would, a stand-in, a type and shadow of Christ in, in the, uh, the beginning portion of the Old Testament. So then the story goes on. One day when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of my house. And then she laid up his garment by her until, her ma- until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us to come in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, and she's lying through her teeth, she's utterly slandering him. This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. So we'll note that Joseph is a man who was slandered. And uh, Scripture talks in these kind of themes as well. Psalm 27, starting in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. This theme of being slandered by adversaries who lie in wait for your blood, um, that's a major theme of Scripture. Psalm 35. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dig a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it, and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it, into his own destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in Yahweh, exulting in his salvation, and all my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him? Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. 
My soul is bereft. And you'll know this is a messianic song. And this is exactly what happened to Christ when they put him on trial. They were looking for false witnesses to rise up. It takes two witnesses in order to establish a charge biblically. The false witnesses couldn't even agree, but they were barking out all kinds of slanderous lies about Christ for the purpose of crucifying him. And eventually they did find two witnesses that kind of sort of agreed, but even then the charges were false. And so you'll note that Joseph, like Jesus, is slandered, slandered greatly. And so this leads to quite a lot more pain and misery and suffering. And so he goes into the pit of prison at this point because of the lies of Potiphar's wife. All right, we're going to take a quick break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackandfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. When we come back, the balance of our teaching on Joseph to help you understand the Old Testament. Stay tuned. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Welcome, George Hayworth and Raymond Stewart. Whoa, dude, your GPS knows, like, who's getting in the car and stuff? Yeah, you know, it's like the newest model. My dad works for some big technology company called Cyberdyne. And, you know, he gave it to me as a birthday gift, but, man, it's so smart, it's, like, really creepy. Huh, okay, man, this it's cool. I guess we're going over to Luke's house, then? Yeah. Hey, GPS! What can I do for you? Could you, like, plot our route to Luke's house? Plotting route to Luke's house. There is an accident on the I-95 freeway approximately 10 miles from your current location. Do you wish to take the side streets? Well, I guess we're gonna have to. Yeah, go ahead and take the side streets. Recalculating. And we're on our way, dude! In 300 feet, make a left turn. So, Ray... 
What'd you think about the sermon last Sunday? Yeah, I thought it was okay, I guess. Okay? Dude, it like totally changed my life. What do you mean, bro? In half a mile, make a right turn. Well, I was meditating on the whole Jesus died for me thing. And then I realized that by doing that, Jesus was saying to me, Dude, you are so worth it. Yeah, I know that, man. Yeah, but it's even better than that. Really, man? Like, how so? Well, think about it. Not only does Jesus' death prove that I was worth it, well, that also means that I have some ridiculously important dream destiny that I'm supposed to fulfill. Well, how do you figure? Well, Jesus is the Son of God, right? Right. Well, that means it wasn't some third-rate angel that died for me, right? Yeah, you're right. Turn right in 500 feet. Fact. Jesus, he's like the most important dude in the whole universe. And if Jesus is the most important dude in the whole universe, well, he wouldn't waste his time dying for a nobody. So, the way I figure, that means I must really be a somebody. And, and that means that the reason why Jesus died for me is so that I can accomplish some ridiculously important destiny. I mean, after all, important people don't waste their time dying for unimportant people. Make a right turn in 50 feet. All right, dude, I think I'm tracking with you now. So I'm thinking, I've got like some uber cosmic destiny that I've got to achieve. I bet there's some planet on the other side of the galaxy that I'm the one that's supposed to save it. You've just missed the turn. Recalculating. So that make you like Luke Skywalker or something? Not even. I mean, I've got to be way more important than Luke Skywalker. In 500 feet, please make an illegal U-turn. So you're like Yoda. Don't insult my greatness, dude. Remember, the Son of God died for me. Whoa, 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 dude. Like, who would be greater than Yoda? I feel like I'm being ignored. The Force itself. Dude, you think you're as important as the Force? That would make you, like, God. Now you're finally starting to see the light, dude. You morons. You are both wrong. You are both sinners who truly deserve death and hell. You're not God. You're not the Force. You're not Yoda. And you're certainly not Luke Skywalker. You're just two guys who are ten feet from the edge of a very treacherous cliff. Oh. Uh, well, I guess if I was a god, I would have seen this coming. Now you're finally starting to see the light. Too soon? Ah! Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? 
Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Alright, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the story of Joseph isn't about you receiving a dream destiny from God, because it's not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, Fighting for the Faith. Dot com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. And rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you would like to support us the traditional, old-fashioned, analog way, you can do that as well. Make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of today's lesson on Joseph. Let's get back to it. But Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. 
keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because Yahweh was with him. And whatever he did, Yahweh made it succeed. And you'll note, it doesn't sound like Joseph's succeeding to me. I mean, it's just suffering and the torment that he's going through just continues to get worse. And yet, yet the Lord is having mercy on him. And he spends 13 years in prison. Now, sometime after this, this is where it's going to get interesting. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their their lord, the king of Egypt. So let me ask you, cupbearers, what was put into their cups? Wine. Bakers, what did they bake? Bread. Mm-hmm. So note now the two elements that make up the Lord's Supper, bread and wine, are present in what's coming. Now, we're going to note here that in order for Joseph, because he is a sinner, to get out of prison, mm -hmm, to be set free from the pit, mm -hmm, someone's going to have to die. and Someone's going to have to die on a tree. Can you think of anybody who is connected to bread and wine who was hung and died on a tree? Yeah, no, this is, the typology here is mind-blowing. So sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dreamed with its own interpretation. When Joseph came into them, it came in they, the, in the morning, they saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody with his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, well, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossom shot forth and the cluster ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to them, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Now, is there any doubt as to what's in that cup, right? Wine. Right? Now, only remember me, he says, only remember me when... It is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, 
and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head, and Joseph answered him, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. The birds will eat the flesh. Bread, wine, three days, one hung on a tree. A note here. In order for Joseph to get out of the pit, which is a type and shadow of Sheol, of death itself, in order for him to get out of the pit, somebody had to die on a tree. It was absolutely necessary. You see in it, <laughs> Jesus makes a secondary appearance in, in a secondary type and shadow in the story of Joseph, which is a type and shadow of the life of Christ. So note verse 20, chapter 40. On the third day, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he judged the chief baker, uh, baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Don't worry, he'll remember him shortly. Now, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, and the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second dream, and behold, Seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on the stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and had put me the chief cup bake, uh, me and the chief baker in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, and he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh favorable answer. Behold, in my dreams, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Pharaoh is now reading out, listing out his dream to Joseph. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. 
and the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. And then I awoke, and I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk full and good, and seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And then the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. The seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. The doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt, and let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all of my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, a little bit of a question. If you know about Christ's ascension into heaven, Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. I just find this fascinating because even a little bit of the doctrine of the Trinity is kind of fleshed out here because Pharaoh is as a father to Joseph and Joseph is the most powerful man in all of the land except for Pharaoh. And yet you kind of see what's going on here. It's a fascinating thing. So you shall be over my house. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Remember our governing passage. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. Mm -hmm. Bow the knee, bow the knee. Thus they set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, 
And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Haneah, and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So you'll note with Joseph's exaltation, there is also a marriage, a marriage to um, a wife who isn't exactly a Jew. Uh, yeah, I always like to note that many times in the types and shadows, the bride of Christ is not portrayed in flattering, faithful terms. Yeah, I'm just saying, it's kind of a fascinating thing. So here we can even see an allusion to Jesus and his bride, the bride of Christ, which is the church, in the marrying of Joseph to Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, who is a priestess of a priest of On. Anyway, so Joseph went over the land of Egypt. Uh, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. How old was Christ when he began his ministry? And to say, <laughs> again, the connection point, I, this is not even exhaustive, but the connection points are so multitudinous that they're, it's like shooting you know, fish in a barrel. Anyway, so Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly. He gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, put the food in the cities, and he put in every city food from the fields around it. Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of the, fam- uh, year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. As not the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget. Manasseh, I think, means making to forget. And all my hardship in my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And I think Ephraim is you know, to be made to make fruitful or something like that, if I'm remembering how the Hebrew works correctly. Anyway, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. The seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said, and there was famine in all the lands. But in the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when, his, when the famine had spread over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all of the earth. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? He said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there so that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he had feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Thus the prophetic dream is now being fulfilled, at least in this part of it. Bow with their faces to the ground, and they don't recognize him. Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them and he treated them like strangers and he spoke roughly to them. 
Now, note the fact that Benjamin is not with them is the thing that is the presenting issue as to why this is troubling because they knew, Joseph knew that his brothers harbored hatred towards him, murderously so. And so he's concerned now for the life of his brother Benjamin. And this is his full brother. And uh, whereas all of the, you know, these other 10 fellows, these are his half brothers. They are all they all share the same father, but they all have different mothers, whereas uh, Joseph and Benjamin have the same mother and she's already dead. So at this point, it's um, it's going to be interesting. So Rachel is uh, is Joseph's mother. Same with Benjamin. And so he's concerned. It's like, oh, wait a second here. Benjamin isn't with these guys. Have they killed him? What have they done to Benjamin? You know, so he so what's going to follow next is in line with the basic thought that Joseph needs to to figure out, you know, what is what is his brother's intent towards his brother? Have they murdered him like they attempted to murder him? Uh, you know, and you know, and things like that. So all of this, what follows, is because he's got to figure out is is Benjamin okay? So uh, so Joseph saw his brothers recognize him, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, 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 my Lord. Your servants have come to buy food. We were all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Now, he knows they're not honest men because. These are the guys who betrayed him and sold him into slavery. Anyway, so he said to them, nope, it's the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, well, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, nope, it is, as I said, you are spies. And by this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And so he put them all together in custody for three days. Got to pay attention to that three day stuff. Anyway, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen that is why this distress has come upon us. So now they, they, they're saying this is happening to us because we sinned against our brother. But they don't even recognize their brother who's standing right in front of them. Anyway, did I not tell you, Reuben said, did I not tell you to, sin, to not sin against the boy? But you didn't listen. Did I tell you? Yeah, I told you so. I told you so. That, that, that's never helpful in, in, these, <laughs> in any kinds of circumstances. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. So then he turned away from them, and he left. You'll note that Joseph still loves his brothers, and he's not harboring any real um, 
desire for revenge at all. He does seek to test their words to see if Benjamin is truly alive and okay. He's concerned for them, for him. But at the same time, his heart is still tender towards his brothers. And this, this exemplifies the forgiveness of Christ. And that shortest verse in all of Scripture, you, you think of Christ in John chapter 11 at the tomb of Lazarus, the shortest verse. It's a, I know it's the shortest verse because it counts as a memory verse. Back in the day when you, you, had, you know, when your Sunday school teachers would tally up how many memory verses have you memorized. You remember this one, Jesus wept. Yeah, Jesus wept. So Joseph also wept. So he turned to them and he spoke to them and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And this was done for them. So then they loaded their donkeys and their grain, and they departed. And as one of them opened a sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw that his money, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. But he said to his brothers, my, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? So this kindness, they see it as something evil has happened. <laughs> oh no, he's going to think that we're thieves. You know, so when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying the the man, the, the Lord of the land, he spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, and then I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you. And then you shall trade in the land. And as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they had, and when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. So Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. Simeon is hanging out in Egypt, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, kind of cool in his heels. <clears throat> little retribution, maybe. Anyway, so now you would take Benjamin, and all this has come against me. So then Reuben said to his father, kill, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. So Reuben, who tried to rescue Joseph, is saying, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put, it, put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If, I, if harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring my gray hairs with sorrow down to Sheol. Hmm. All right. The story is getting interesting. So now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And if you will not send our brother with us, we will go down and buy. And if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy, buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. 
So Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. The note here, Judah, who is primarily responsible for Joseph being sold into slavery, says, now you send the boy with me. You send him with me. And we will arise and we will go so that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. And I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. He is the one to blame, but Joseph isn't there, right? So now a little bit of not quite taking responsibility for his sin, but him stepping up in some way and taking responsibility now, you know, with what's going on with Benjamin. I'll, he'll, he'll be in my care. And you can blame me if, I, if we don't bring him back. So if we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. So then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you, carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise And go again to the man, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And so the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin, and they rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. The men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us slaves and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we've brought it again with us and we've brought other money down with us to buy food. We did not know who put our money back in our sacks. And he replied, Peace. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet. And you'll you'll note here that even this little feast kind of sounds like it has type and shadow connections to Jesus' eating of the Passover on the night before he was betrayed. Because Jesus himself washed the feet 
of his disciples. So you'll note that Joseph's brothers, at the command of Joseph, they too have their feet washed. You can't make this stuff up. It's just mind-blowing when you look at all the connections, and I'm barely doing it justice. So when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? See, Joseph doesn't know for sure. He's still trying to figure this out. Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and then he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he says, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion, grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. And he washed his face And he came out controlling himself and he said, serve the food. And they served him by himself and they by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that was an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked on one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as that of theirs, and they drank and they were merry with him. And then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in its ma- in the mouth of his sack and put and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain, and he did as Joseph told him. And I would argue here that there's something going on here with this cup that would hearken back to the, the first Lord's Supper in, uh, you know, when the Passover was celebrated by Christ. But the connection is a little, a little wonky. I would just mention it that it's fascinating that there seems to be a connection there. So as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys And they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to the steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. And when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words, and they said to him, Why why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money... That we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. And he said, Let it be as you say, he who is found with with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. He searched and beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. 
when Judah and his brother came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? And it's, it is absolutely appropriate and relevant that Judah is the one speaking. Judah is the one who concocted the scheme to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place. And now his sin has come full circle. And of course, Joseph knows full well that Judah is the one who should be punished. But it's, he's not going to get what he deserves. In the same way that you and I, who are in Christ, we don't get what we deserve either. Because God doesn't repay us evil for evil. In Christ, he repays our evil with mercy. So Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out our guilt, found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves. Both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, you go up in peace to your father. And then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please. The humanity of this story is just amazing. I don't think there is a better story told other than the gospel itself. Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, a young and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with, him, with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes, uh, unless our young, if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servant's will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all of my life. Now, therefore, please. 
Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. Judah is stepping up now as a substitute. I'll bear his sin, Judah says. Now, therefore, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let, my, let the boy go back with his brothers. For now, for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Then Joseph could control himself, could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. The household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers could not answer him. They were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not... Be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God set me before you to preserve, sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all of his house, ruler of all of his land, of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to them, Thus says Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have, there I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eye sees, the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all of his brothers and he wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. And when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh, his servant. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. And you can see that this is a picture of salvation. Salvation of Christ being sent ahead of us. And what we meant for evil, God turns for good. 
for our salvation. That's what this is a picture of. And so coming back to our governing text, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Look not only to your interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, I could read out more of the story, but I'm going to leave the finishing portions of it for you to read. Go and finish the story. Read how they go and report to Israel, to Israel, that his son, Joseph, is alive. And how they all then come to Egypt and are living in the land of Goshen. Read chapter 50 after the death of Israel. How Joseph's brothers concocted a scheme fearing that Joseph would now get his vengeance on, on them for what they had done to him. And look at his response. And you can see then in Joseph, the story of Joseph, this, this man exemplifies, exemplifies all of the characters of Christ, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his grandeur, his kindness. It's, it's just unbelievable. And this is a picture of our own salvation. Because at the end of the day, this servant Christ, who was found in the form of a servant, found in the form of a slave, he was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we're all responsible for the death of Christ, each and every one of us, because of our sin. And so because we're responsible, what ultimately was the greatest crime committed in all of humanity, a, the, the one truly innocent man of humanity, Jesus Christ, he's murdered, hung on a cross, suffers, pleads, and dies. What we meant for evil, God now works for our salvation, works for the greatest good of all, the salvation of our souls. And we then, we then, like Joseph's brothers, are hearkened now to the promised land, hearkened to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, where Christ himself will care for us in all of eternity, new heavens, new earth. And so you kind of get the picture. This is a picture of salvation. And Joseph exemplifies, exemplifies the characteristics of Christ. And it's for that reason that he's one of the best types and shadows of Christ in all of Scripture. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. And the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.